Well, again, good morning. Yesterday, my wife took me over to the Kummer Museum to see an exhibit that she and my daughter had seen themselves a couple of weeks earlier and that she knew that I would really want to be able to take in before it leaves Jacksonville. The exhibit, which will close in just a few weeks, is entitled The Lotus and the Dragon, Buddha and Shiva. And it is an exhibit of Asian art, much of it religious art, from the personal collection of John D. Rockefeller III and his wife. The comer is certainly, I believe, and I expect many of you will agree with me, one of the greatest treasures that we have here in Jacksonville. And I was so happy that Audrey took me to see this absolutely stunning collection of Buddhist, Hindu, and Asian artwork visiting our local art museum. Audrey knows I have a particular interest in Buddhist art, and this was exactly the kind of collection at the Comer that I would have been greatly disappointed if I had missed. As some of you may not know, there are certainly connections between the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, who is better known to the world today as the Buddha, and the teachings of Christianity. There have been many a Christian in the Western world over the last few centuries who has been intrigued themselves by some of the similarities that Christianity and Buddhism hold, especially in ethics and morality, including one of my favorite Christian writers and teachers of the 20th century, the Catholic monk Thomas Merton. The last trip Merton would make before his untimely death would be to Asia to be a part of a first ever gathering of both Christian and Buddhist monks and nuns. There, just one month before his accidental death in Thailand, Thomas Merton would visit His Holiness the Dalai Lama in India, the spiritual head, of course, of Tibetan Buddhism. The Dalai Lama would later write that it was Thomas Merton who first introduced him to the meaning of the word Christian. And when the Dalai Lama visited the United States in 1996, one of his visits would be to the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky to visit the grave of his Christian friend, Thomas Merton. While looking at the sculptures and the stone carvings and the bronze images yesterday of the Buddha and the spiritual bodhisattvas of India and China and Southeast Asia and Japan, as exotic as they were to most of the Western Christian artwork on display at the Comer, there were also parts that I found to be very similar. Certainly our understanding of Jesus Christ and our belief in the divinity of God and what creation is, is very different from Buddhist teachings. But one thing both religious traditions hold in common is an important need for detachment. Detachment from the ego of self and detachment from the material temptations and longings of this material world. Siddhartha Gautama, before he reached enlightenment and began traveling through northern India and teaching, was himself a prince of high wealth and stature. His experience of suffering among people in the world would lead him to give up all of that wealth and royalty in order to seek out something of a greater meaning and a deeper importance in the spiritual life. Many of the symbols carved on the artwork on exhibit right now at the Comer reveals this important part of the greatest religious figure of Asia's life, down to the long extended earlobes of the Buddhist ears, which are meant to reveal the heavy jewelry and treasure that he once wore as a prince before giving it all away to follow a spiritual calling. 
There's no question that images of the Buddha from ancient Asian art can put a Western Christian mind in the story and the icons of one of our most beloved Christian saints, a saint who actually happens to sit right outside the front door of our church every single day, St. Francis of Assisi. As much as we like to remember St. Francis mostly for preaching to the birds and blessing and loving our pets and animals, perhaps the more important transformative moment in Francis's life is when he himself, who is a prince and of great royalty, runs across a homeless peasant on the streets of Assisi. And out of compassion and faith in Jesus Christ, he decides to take off all of his clothing and give everything he has to the man in need. This is what will transform St. Francis of Assisi and his impact will help reform the church of his own time as well as continue to influence the Christian world all the way down to today. And there are plenty of others in the history of our Christian faith before and after, from St. Catherine of Siena to St. Ignatius of Loyola to St. Therese of Lisieux to Mother Teresa of Calcutta and, of course, Thomas Merton. In their ever-deepening quest for salvation and a dedication to God and God alone, somewhere along that journey... They find themselves giving up the world in order to receive God. And each of them, if they were here to speak to us today, would tell us that that decision was well worth it, not just in some eternity in the future, but in the lives they were living on earth in their days. It is that spiritual call to give up and detach from our human games of power and self-promotion, driven by ego and sin, the saints discover that can lead to true freedom and true fulfillment and to the finding of happiness. We share this same guidepost with our Buddhist brothers and sisters. And knowing that yesterday afternoon provided much for me as a disciple of Jesus Christ to see and identify with in my exhibit with the lotus and the dragons at the Kummer Museum here in Jacksonville. Now, this morning, I really can't offer you much more about the teachings of detachment and humility from the faiths and religions of the East. But here at home, in our own faith and in our trust in Jesus Christ, we need not look any further than the gospel reading we just heard this morning from Luke. Jesus was certainly not a man who had to make a choice to give up wealth and royalty like a St. Francis or a St. Ignatius of Loyola. Jesus was born in a stable among livestock in what was nothing more than poverty. But still, Jesus was well aware of the same power plays and the seeking of honor and prestige driven by ego and culture that was constantly occurring within the world from the very beginning of time as well as in the communities and cultures surrounding him during his day. This morning, Jesus encounters it again at a dinner he's been invited to attend by a leader of the Pharisees on the Sabbath day. There, as the guests of the dinner arrive, the Bible tells us that Jesus immediately observes jockeying to take what those Pharisees saw as their rightful place of honor at the table for the dinner. One can't help but wonder if this isn't made more intense because they know Jesus, a low-ranking rabbi from some backcountry in the Galilee, is present there among them, and they want to make sure that Jesus doesn't get above his raising and doesn't sit at a place 
he does not have the honor to sit. Whatever the reason, Jesus uses their jockeying to call out the foolishness. And beyond foolishness, the impending spiritual danger this struggle sets for those whose lives are engaged within it. Jesus looks at them and says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by the host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, you may, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, In this short parable, Jesus cho chooses to take what's happening in the earthly realm and transpose it upward into the heavenly, using the image of the wedding banquet to point out to the Pharisees and to everyone who is listening that what he is engaging in talking about isn't just some regular old Sabbath dinner. In the Gospels, Jesus always uses the image of the wedding to draw up the deeper truth of God's love and devotion to humanity, brought to its fullness for us in God's coming to live among humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And for the wedding banquet of divinity and humanity, for creator with the creation, God is, of course, the host. And it is God who already has the seating chart for everyone who is willing to accept God's invitation made to all. Jesus knows and wants those with ears to listen to understand that the seating list of God is already, it's already been set up to give everyone an equal place at God's table making the vainglory of our fallen earthly egos useless and ridiculous. At God's wedding feast, power and prestige in the world is being overturned because the lowest seat is already raised and the highest seat is already lowered and everyone is given the same bread and water of life equally and fully out of the enormous, immense, overwhelming love that is God. Well, you may be listening to this and saying to yourself, but Father Donovan, even Jesus is telling us in the parable this morning that there is a place of honor at the table. And if we come to this banquet and try to sit there, we could be asked by the host to move to a lower seat in disgrace. Well, friends, in the view of the world, that would certainly be the case. But we need to remember that the gospel is telling us this is a parable. And in the parables of Jesus, there's always a twist to the story that is there and ready to pull the carpet out from under our own expectations and the norms of the world. What Jesus already knows and is trying to open the eyes of those around him to see is that it is only in the midst of our sinful fallen minds in the world that we are driven by higher and lower places and standing of prestige and honors and wealth. When Jesus tells us the exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted, or when he will say to us the first shall be last and the last shall be first, in the mind and heart of God, this is always equal invitation to God's place, which is leveled for us and open to everyone. For the world's push for all of us to get to the top of the ladder, to somehow place ourselves above others, to make more, to do more, to have more. That is a part of our fallenness. That is at the core of what sin is all about. 
The heart of our spiritual journey is to find our ways through it and to discover ways we can begin to give some of that up, to opt out of the game, to detach ourselves from that which will only be here for a moment and then will ultimately fade away. Now, we don't have to be a St. Francis of Assisi or some enlightened Buddha from a distant country to achieve this. We just have to place our trust and belief in the source from which all things come to us. All things come to us from God. We just have to let go and we just have to let God and see the freedom and the joy and the health and the love God offers to us and offers to change and transform the world. Hit the opt-out button on one of those burdens weighing you down on your shoulders. And I guarantee you, you'll be singing that wonderful spiritual hymn we kicked off this service with. Glory, glory, hallelujah, since I laid my burden down. I feel better, so much better since I laid my burden down. I feel like shouting hallelujah since I laid my burden down. We will find ourselves in the place of the writer to the letter to the Hebrews who says to us this morning, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Brothers and sisters, to be able to say that in the face of anything this world throws at you is a feeling of true freedom, true happiness, and true joy. Let us work to find our way to that joy, giving up little things one at a time as we follow the example of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.